Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Been asking you over the last few days to send me in your memories and your thoughts and your recollections of where you were, what you were doing, who you were with, what you remember about 9-11. This is the, tomorrow, the 11th of September 2021, the 20th anniversary of that fateful day. And throughout the morning, we're going to look back at it. Not devoting the whole show to it, but it depends on, on how much you want to share with us. But we'll look back at it during the morning. Also, I'll be talking to a man, a very well-known Cork man, a very well-known Cork entertainer. COVID-19 has left him in a wheelchair. That's coming up. Also, do you like surprises? Some people hate surprises. Some people hate change. And I'm, I'm one of those myself. I adapt slowly to change in life. But surprises, the power of keeping surprises in our life, are they good for us? Should we try to surprise each other in the workplace? Should we surprise each other in life? The power of surprise, we'll look at that during the morning. You might think of the best surprise you've ever had, the maddest, craziest, stupidest, daftest, most brilliant surprise you've ever had, and lots more besides between now and midday. But today is Friday, the 10th day of September 2021. And the reason we're doing this today is obviously we won't be on the air tomorrow. But Tuesday morning, the 11th of September 2001. I'll tell you where I was to start off. Uh, I was in Menorca, in the island of Menorca, in the resort of Calenbosch in Spain and we'd been there a few days at that point and it was September time but it was still very very hot so what we used to do was we used to go to the beach in the morning because the kids were quite small they were only about four or five 
And we used to go to the beach in the morning time. We could be down there at half eight, nine o'clock. And then maybe about midday when the sun started to really come up in the sky, we would come off the beach, get a bit of lunch and then go home and the kids would have their afternoon nap. And, you know, it's what you do on your holidays. And on the day of September 11th, it was a particularly hot day. There was a beautiful little little restaurant on the edge of the beach. So we stopped there for a bite of lunch. And we had a bit of lunch and a drink or two. And we were walking up. Kids were in their buggy. We were walking up towards our apartment block, which was maybe 10 minutes walk from the beach. And there was a huge pub. If you've ever been to Callanbosch, you'll know it. It's still there, actually, called the Britannia. And the Britannia was a karaoke pub by night and a sports pub. And I saw a crowd around the screen. There had been a match on the previous night. Now, I don't know who it was. It might have been Man United and Chelsea or something like that. But this was before there was Sky Sports and satellite feeds and the whole thing. So people used to wait for the tape of the match, the tape of the match, to come out the following day and they'd show it at the pub. So I thought, right, they got the tape early. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to deposit you guys back at the apartment. Kids will have their lunch and everyone will have a nap and I'll come down for a pint and I'll watch the match. That was my plan. Then the next pub up the road, there was another crowd inside. I thought, they can't both have the match that quickly. Got up to our apartment block and a friend who was with us on holidays was hanging out the window waiting for me from the little bar in the restaurant, in, in the apartment block. Come in, come in, come in, come in. And I came in and I sat down in time to watch the second plane going in. That's my memory of where I was and how I discovered it, and the rest, as they say, is history. And those are the little stories I'd like from you. Now, some people were 10, 12. We've had one memory in this morning from someone who's only five who remembers the discussion and the dis- disruption to the house. So text to WhatsApp 083 396 Voice note, we'd love to get them. Now imagine missing it. Imagine being having this memory that only for a phone call that didn't come you could have been there imagine that only for a telephone call that never came you could have been there that's Nuala Cronin's story Nuala is from Knocknagree in Cork so Nuala you were in New York on your J1 yes correct Um, I had been in Long Island all summer um, and had arranged to meet some friends in Manhattan on the morning of September 11th. Um, They had been on their J1 in another part of the United States and uh, it was two girls that I went to university with and and they were flying home, I think, from Newark Airport that evening. Mm -hmm. On the evening of September 11th, I think their flight was 6 p.m. So we came from our respective holiday locations on the Sunday prior and we spoke on the phone on Sunday. We arranged to meet and do the Twin Towers, the Empire State and the Statue of Liberty on the morning of September 11th at 8am and hung up the phone and didn't arrange exactly what building to meet at. Um or whether we were going to meet at the subway station or we just, we just didn't nail it down. Yeah. And because we were leaving where we had been staying, they had a phone number for me. This is before mobile phones now. So they had my aunt's phone number of where I was going to be staying. 
but I didn't have a contact number for them. So I was waiting on a message from them to say, we will go or a call, you know, mm. to say that we'll, we'll, um, we'll meet you outside building. Yeah. One you have, you have this great plan and yet yeah. you don't have a starting point. That's it. Exactly. We knew we were going to do it. And I, and, and they didn't twig because they were out all day Monday and they were meeting their own separate bunch of friends on Monday and they didn't realize that they hadn't arranged that with me uh, until later that evening when I went out and met a friend who had been to the top of the towers that day. So I said, oh, I'm going in the morning. Mm. I can't wait. All my family, parents included, have stood at the top. I'm the only one who hasn't been there. I can't wait. I'm going in the morning. Yeah. And I told my aunt before I left the house to, um, if the girls called, just leave me a note and tell me where to meet them. And I'll, I'll get up and go really early. I'm going to go get up at six and head down to Manhattan or whatever mm. for 8 a.m. to be there at wherever they said to meet. And I came home from meeting my friend that night and my aunt had left a note on the kitchen, a famous note. She's famous for leaving lovely notes, but she just left me two lines that read, the girls never called, have a lion. Right. So I did. And I woke up the next morning and thought to myself will I go anyway will I just go down early and get it done I want to see all these sites and I thought no I'll just take it easy I'll have a lazy morning and I went and had my shower and took my time and when I get out of the shower my I could hear my aunt very distressed downstairs in the living room calling my name and shouting up the stairs to me to make sure I hadn't gone in about what time was this well the first plane had hit I missed the first plane um Hitting. So that had um, just happened, which she was watching on the news when I came down the stairs. Um, and we just stood there in disbelief. That was a quarter to nine. And did you see the second plane going in on I television? Watched, I watched the second plane hit, yeah. But we stood there for an hour and we were watching it unfold, not really sure. But my aunt was mentioning she thought it was a terrorist attack and... Then there were reports coming in from, I think, other journalists and stuff. I don't know, was it at, before the second plane hit or around the time of the second plane hit where they were saying that um, there were other planes hijacked and it started getting very worrying then that this was now um, the city that we were in was under attack and nobody knew what was going to happen next. And I suppose it was going through your mind and probably your auntie's mind, I was nearly there. I was nearly there, very nearly there. Um, very, it was terrifying. It was, I can't describe it. It's a very strange feeling to try and describe to somebody. Um, and I actually just spoke to one of the girls I was supposed to meet uh, that morning during the week. And she said she's blocked a lot of it out. She doesn't mm. tend to think too deeply about it. What, what did they do? Where did they go? Did they just cancel their plan or what? Yeah, they just had a lion as well. They were there, but for the grace of God, go. I, we were just very, very lucky that we had missed each other's call and not, you know. They talk about fate intervening. It was, yeah, it's very strange. You were watching it unfold. Is that where you wanted to start of all the ones? Was it the world trade you wanted to start with? Like, would you have been there? Quite possibly. 
because right. it was on, because the Statue of Liberty was, you had to get a ferry across to it. So that probably would have been the one we least likely would have gone to. Mm. Um, the Twin Towers, I think, were higher. So they were the they were the ones that you just wanted to yeah. go up because the viewing deck is incredible. Yeah. And you, I think we were, Jill and I were talking about this, that we were saying that we thought we'd have less chance of getting into the Empire State. There might be a bigger queue. <laughs> um, I was actually in the towers the previous yeah. St. Patrick's Day. Oh, so no I know way. exactly the anticipation that oh, you felt. God. I know exactly. You you would thought this is the greatest sight. Yeah. I yeah. I know exactly how you felt that morning. So excited. Yep. Did you venture in a few days later? I did. I, I, my cousin and I, he was very good to me because he knew I hadn't really seen any of Manhattan because I had been out at the beach for most of the summer. Um, so he said, let's go, let's go in and try and do something. Let's try and see something or, you know, let's try and see if we can go to the Empire State Building. And within an hour, there was a bomb threat on the Empire State Building. So before we even left the house, it was all over the news. So that scrapped that plan. Obviously, we wanted to be safe. Um, so we didn't go anywhere that evening. Um, you're just, you're also just trying to live and be, be uh, try to get on with things and be normal and try and, do the things you would normally try to do, but at the same time, it's it's only twenty minutes away. This is all happening, but you're tr- you're trying to wrap your head around it and just go. This can't really be happening. So we we decided to go in on the Friday um, after September 11th, and me and my cousin Sean we got the train in and we walked. I think we got off a couple of blocks away and we walked a lot of the way down, as far down as we could go within four blocks of Ground Zero. And Describe what you saw. It's very, it's very, what I saw, I have to close my eyes as I'm I'm talking to you because all I saw were army personnel with guns, um, ambulances everywhere, fire trucks everywhere, just constantly moving up and down police from every single state you can think of Mm. every different uniform you can imagine just drafted in from all over the country monitoring people checking bags checking our bags um um it was so hot it was really really warm and there was ash everywhere there was this like really um cloudy plume of just ash still floating around the place. It was like snow. It was um, just never ending. And I remember having, I was a big fan of taking photos. All my friends used to make fun of me in college and stuff because I always had a camera in my hand and I did have a little disposable camera in my hand that day. And I, I, I'd say if I took seven pictures, it was just so, horrible and I actually didn't want to remember it in photos because it was enough to be there yeah the smells the smell was something I'll never be able to describe and never be able to forget it was like obviously there are thousands of people in a mass 
grave down the street and it's still on fire and there's burning everything, fuel, buildings. It's just, it's just the most rancid, horrific smell. And I, I did not eat for the rest of the day. I was very quiet, very, very quiet. It's, you're walking down. My cousin took me to, to um, Times Square and there wasn't a light on. Not a picture. All the screens were black. The streets were empty. It was like something out of a horror movie. The, the world literally stood still. Yeah. Yeah. And why wouldn't it? Did, did you meet up with your friends at any point before you left the state? Yes. Yes. What was that? Did. What was that moment like? That was very emotional. Um, I remember getting the. Um, a taxi bus to the airport and crossing over one of the bridges. I can't remember which bridge it was now, but you can see the skyline of the city on the way. And it was just burning. It was just burning still. And I was going to the airport and I was, I knew I was going to have to get on a plane, Yeah, which was terrifying. And, um, you're just looking at it burning and, and I had to get to the airport extra early because you had all these police check-ins and sniffer dogs everywhere and you're being frisked and searched and it was intense, but we had arranged the girls. I was supposed to fly home that night anyway um, because my sister was getting married a week later and didn't know if I'd even be able to open, to be able to get on a plane because the airports, I think, only open that day. Mm. So my original flight was still held this is what a week a week later or something a week later yeah. the following monday yeah and the girls flight was rescheduled um to that evening from jfk as well so we we arranged to meet there so we just met and i remember running to them and they were running to me and you just burst into tears and you can't say anything what do you say you just hug each other and because when it happened when the planes hit and the tower collapsed um there's a mast on top of one of the towers so all the phones cut out yeah um so we uh, my brother got through uh my brother knew i was supposed to be down there in the city that morning so he managed to get through to my aunt's house to just check that i hadn't gone in um just before the lines went dead but my friends didn't get a chance to call my aunt's house mm. So the phone wasn't working for days. So I didn't know whether they had gone without me and whether they were safe or alive or not. They didn't know had I gone without them. Crikey. We had no way of getting in touch with each other. So you just spent the next two or three days trying to account for family members who were down there or working down there, trying to help clean up the site at Ground Zero. My cousin's husband was down there for four days. Have you been back since? I have. I have been back twice since, but it took it took about seven or eight years for me to go back. I was I don't know, I just had this feeling I just I wasn't ready to go there for a long time. Yeah. Um I think New York is amazing. I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. And I have this bond with it <laughs> now. Um, that's different, I think, to everybody. Yeah. 
everybody else is in my family, I suppose. And it's it's just a different experience I had the first time I went there. Mm. Mm-hmm. To be 21 and to come that close to something catastrophic, it's a very strange feeling. Are you a spiritual person? I am, yeah. Do you believe very. somebody was looking after you that morning? I th- I think so. I don't, I don't really think, I think that there's no such thing as a coincidence, really. I think things coincide and I think you are supposed to be where you're supposed to be whether you cross somebody's path and they make you take a detour you weren't supposed to go somewhere and then this happens you know it's I I just think it was yeah it was just very very strange thing and to be so I think my aunt's husband as well he was due to work down there at the Twin Towers that day and I think he took a day off that day as well so he was fine. He was safe. We knew he was at home. So we were just so lucky. Like a lot of my family work in construction. They would have been all down in Manhattan as well, but they had to walk home or get out of there whatever way they could. I'm, I'm watching you on screen and I can see that telling me this is taking it out of you. So I won't spend much more time except to thank you. But I'd ask you one question still in the back of my mind. Do you still have the note? I don't. I don't. I wish I did. She, I have kept all of her notes since then, but yeah. I wish I had that note. I don't. The girls never called to have a lion. But I do, I have other imprinted memories that stick with me even to this day, like the sound of a plane overhead. And even every time I get on a plane, it just comes into my, the back of my mind. Yeah. There's little things that trigger memories. Candle wax is another one. Candle wax. So many candles burning on the street, vigils out on the footpath. And you would just try to walk around to avoid the candle wax of different colours and the smells. Yeah, it's bizarre. You tell the story so vividly and I thank you so much for being with us today to mark 20 years since Mm. that awful morning. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's uh, Nula. Some story. Nula from Knocknagree in County Cork. She would have been there only for a phone call. That didn't come. Your WhatsApps are starting to come in. WhatsApp voice notes. People with particular memories of 20 years ago today, the day the world stood still. First of them that uh, we bring to air is this is Senin's particular memory of 9-11. Good morning. Yeah, so my resounding memory of uh, 9-11 was I... um was in New York that morning with a colleague of mine. We'd been working for two weeks previous at the, the tennis tournament, the US Open. So we flew out of JFK Airport the morning of 9-11. Um, luckily it's 7 a.m., so two hours before, or an hour and 50 minutes before the actual event happened. So we were in the air on our way to Melbourne, Australia. So we were totally oblivious to everything that had occurred in New York until uh, the airplane landed in Melbourne when the captain asked us all to remain seated and explained to us that there'd been a terrorist attack in New York and that the the Twin Towers had collapsed. Now, on hearing this, myself and my colleague looked at each other and kind of nearly laughed, thinking, what's he talking about? Is he crazy? The Twin Towers are never going to come down or be attacked or destroyed or whatever he was talking about. So we got off the plane. We were met by the Australian Federal Police. 
who uh, went through every passenger on the plane and looking for their intentions of what, what they were doing in New York and how long they were there, um, why they left. And um, it was a short, brief interview, really. I mean, once they determined we weren't a threat, we were moved on pretty quickly, still pretty confused and dazed as we hadn't really had a clue what, what had happened. Um, upon arriving in arrivals, we, we came out and we were met by a group of journalists with cameras, press, everything. Um, of course, still, we were oblivious, really, to what had happened. Um, one of the journalists actually took me over and showed me a TV, and that was the first time that I'd seen uh, seen what actually happened, and my God, I was shocked. Um, totally unexpected, Ch life-changing day, really. Um, and my poor parents, who were frantically ringing everyone and, and everyone to get any information as we were still in the air. They hadn't a clue if we'd left New York, if we were safe, if we were in danger, they had no idea. So they were frantically ringing our friends in, in Australia, they were ringing relatives in America, they were, they were ringing absolutely everyone. So as soon as I saw what happened, my first uh, initial reaction was to ring home, let everyone know that we were safe and sound and away from any trouble. Um, but yeah, that was my, my memory of 9-11, the, the day that changed the world. That's it, the day that changed the world, the day the world stood still and the day our blood ran cold. Thank you, Graham, for that. They have other ones coming in. I'll get to them during the morning. going to park this now for a little while, um, but more memories of, of 9-11 20 years ago, particularly looking for yours. Ones like, like Graham has sent us, and I'll get to Adele, and I will get to Bex and I will get to Graham as well uh, during the morning. They've been sending messages in and some stuff on screen. We're inundated and I kind of figured that we would, but something completely different next. Uh, a cork man, a well-known cork man. COVID-19, my friends, has put him in a wheelchair. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie All the stars on one show. This is Duralipa. Hi, this is Tiesto. Oh, this is Shane Conn. Hey, this is Amory. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. This is Joe Corey. I go by the name of The Weeknd. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks on your radio. Weeknights from 8. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Test drive the all-electric ID4 at Newmarket Motors or visit newmarketvolkswagen.ie for more. Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. So we're remembering 9-11 20 years ago tomorrow. Uh, we're remembering it today. And your particular memories, if you have any, let us know. 083-396-9696. Where were you? Who you were with? How did you hear about it? How did you react? If you were a younger person, like maybe 10, 11, 12 years old, how did the people around you react and we get back to it in the fullness of time. But uh, I want to mention uh, this man because Kieran Kramer and I worked together in the entertainment game for well over 10 years. Earlier this year I mentioned that Kieran had given us an awful fright this time last year. Uh, if Kieran Kramer played your wedding or your charity ball or your corporate night, well you name it, you, you know him. 
Kieran was one of the most naturally, is one of the most naturally talented singers and entertainers that Cork has ever produced. But this very day last year, Kieran was in a coma in CUH. He was fighting for his life with what he now knows is a very rare complication of COVID-19. He's battling his way back to health now, but it has left him in a wheelchair for now at least. He's a resident at the moment at the Abode Centre in Black Rock, adapting to this huge change in his life. The Abode Centre is worth a programme on its own. It's incredible what they do down there. But I met Kieran down there during the week. Kieran, you and I last gigged together. God, it's it's a while ago now. Um, and then I heard nothing from you until our late mutual friend Ted Dunn told me midway through September of 2020 that you were in a bad way. What happened to you? I got stung by a fly and it was supposed to have had reacted with some COVID antibodies in my blood that I did not know I had. I'll get to that because that's, I have a paper in front of me here which is, makes for a frightening reading. So you got this bite and then what happened? I was at home, back pain. This could have been a week or two, three weeks. Mm. And really back, really bad back pain. And um, I called my doctors and I said, look, I'm in a bad way here. I, I need something for my back. And like everybody else getting the calls, you know, there's no way they couldn't see me. You know, it was such a busy time for COVID. Um, I said I'd ring back. I rang back about 10.30 that morning. They couldn't see me. And I said, look, if you can't see me, I need to ring an ambulance then. Mm. I said, I'm really bad here. And they said, come up. Yeah. So I went up 10 minutes up the road. Got a prescription for diphene and salpidal, of mm. course, for, you know. Should, should sort most things out. Yes. What, what kind of pain was it? Was it muscular pain, bone pain? What did it? Lower back pain. Right. And I mean, it was PJ, I crawled to the toilet. I remember the night before. I could not walk. I literally crawled. So I was at home. After taking my meds, went to bed, told my son. I said, Sam, I'm heading up to... He said, Dad, you're going up to bed very early. I said, I'm not feeling great. Mm. So went up to bed following night. He rang his sister, Laura, and said, Laura, I can't wake Dad up. Mm. How long is he in bed? Sam said, since yesterday, lunchtime, ring an ambulance. Mm. And that's a year ago this week? A year ago, on the 9th of September. It's been some year. What's the next thing you remember? Waking up in ICU. I was in a coma for days. Mm. Um, they had given, I had nine surgeries um, between the neck and my legs. Um, sepsis, was it? Sepsis. Yeah. My daughter got a call to say, look, your dad is probably not going to make it through the night. Yeah, um, then a call later on to say, can we take his leg? You know, um, I still have my leg, thanks be to God, I still have both of them, you know. Um, and from there then, you know, it was a fighting battle really. Where have you had the surgeries that took chunks from your leg? Your from my neck, they opened up my neck here, mm. um, and back of my, my calf, mm. and back of my tie. What were they doing? Just trying to clear out infection? Yes. They took bone from my neck. It had got so bad. They had cut bone. Um, and I know with the leg, where the, where the, where the bite was here, the back of my calf, mm. they cut that open and it, they took probably a lot of muscle and stuff that was there as well. 
And he took the skin then from the back of my my tie, skin graft. You were paralyzed, were you? From the neck down, I could not move for weeks and weeks and weeks. And all of a sudden, I might have got a flicker in my hand, you know, mm. which when I could do this, I couldn't believe it. Mm. And um, in ICU, they were just magic. Mm. Nurses were just... Nurses and doctors, but you know the nurses were just, mm. yeah. you know. You, you eventually moved from COH. Was it February? February. Yeah. So you were in from what September to February. Yeah. Right. So nearly five months exactly in the COH, right. and I spent fourteen weeks above in the NRH. And what were you doing up there? Literally learning to get around it. Yes. Getting the bladder to work and the bowels to work, and you know, didn't get my legs. My my goal was to walk. All to there. You, you literally went up there lying on your back, like there was. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. Went up there. I was moving upper body, mm. but not lower body. And all from this infection. All from infection. Mm-hmm. Now, at the start, you mentioned to me a COVID connection, and I think this is. I didn't know this until I came down here to visit you down here, in man. All I knew was that you'd gotten sepsis. I have a paper in front of me that you've given me, an academic paper, and I'll try to read it. It's COVID-19-associated Fusobacterium nucleatum bactremia, and it's from Belgium. What the hell is that? A doctor came in to me just before I left and asked me, he showed me this, and he said, will you read this? He said, this is four cases in Belgium, very similar to your own. And he said, you've had COVID at some stage in 2020 and I said I didn't I said look I've had 50 tests back say negative he said we checked your blood in December and it showed COVID antibodies so I had COVID unknowns to me probably worked my way through it yeah you could have been one of the asymptomatic ones yes yeah more than likely yes you know wow so, only four cases of this in Belgium. Again, this is the theory now, but, but that's what they believe. That this, the co- what this doctor definitely believed in you. That the COVID antibodies, what, reacted with the with, this, with this thing? Yeah. I can remember there was a doctor fly, or a horse fly, we call him. I remember flicking her off me going, I said, that feckers have to get me. Mm. Wow. Yeah. He did get you. In well, he way. did. He did, yeah. Wiped me out, nearly. I think maybe I was chosen. They were ready to take me or not. Yeah. I totally believe that. Yeah. You know, you look around my table here, I've got such good friends. I had a surprise visit from Johnny Crowley from Lanzarote last oh, week. Johnny. Himself and Josie were in Medjugorje two weeks ago, and there's a relic and some lovely oh, medals here. Yeah. You know. I, I remember Ted, God rest him, texting me to saying, pray for Kieran if you pray. I remember when I was inside and I was asking all the nurses, I said, where's Ted? What ward is Ted in? Can I go, can I go to see Ted? But gee, I cried so much with Ted, I must say. He was a great friend of ours. Kieran, you're sitting here now in the abode unit in Mahan, which is your, your home at the moment. And we're sitting here in a lovely little apartment. Yes. How long will you be here? For as long as I need to. Mm. I was told, Daniel, thanks for the God. Um, 
my house in Carrigaline is not wheelchair accessible. Mm. Um, my mortgage is not covered for this. Mortgage protection covers you only for debt, not for something like this. So how are you managing? I'm lucky I have this and I've got good family. And please tell me, my friend, you'll get out of that thing. I I will. I have to say I will. Like you went up to Dunleary on the flat of your back virtually and you're here now and you've been explaining to me that your left leg works but your right leg is still knackered. Yeah, there's no feeling down the bottom part of my right leg and my glutes are not working. Um, look, I'm getting stronger. Mm. I joined a gym. Um, I'm at Italy in Monaghan Road, Colin O'Shaughnessy. Mm. He's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And he's, look, he's uh, built me up. As I said, Colin, I'm after putting on a stone and a half since I've come down. He says, yes. And I said, I think I need to go on a diet. And he said, I'll tell you when you need to go on a diet. He said, 85% of that is muscle you've put on. So I said, thanks very much. So I guess I'll eat the cakes. Yeah. Will we see you perform again? How is the voice? Did the voice come through this? Um, in the NRH they helped an awful lot they gave me, gave me breathing devices I would have never ever and I mean this would have, would have done exercises before I sang mm. everything just came very naturally to me but no from a sitting point of view I will need to do some exercises I know that yeah. Yeah. will I sing probably not what I did before no can I see myself singing from a wheelchair? Definitely not. No. No. But you don't want that future. You want to be back on two legs. I do. I do. No, it, I was taught really above. There's a slim chance, you know. But I think where there's movement, there's hope. Yeah. Does it upset you, Kieran, that you might be stuck this way? Look. Are you happy to be just to be here? Uh, yes, I'm happy to be here. I really am. I am blessed for the help I've got so far and I mean that but I do want to walk mm-hmm. it's easy to it'd be easy for me to sit down there and feel sorry for myself but I can't mm. you not know? the way you made no I can't I, I just need I need to I'm active I need to be active I need to be doing things mm. you know mm. and if that means look if it means I am in a chair then I'll get my head around that. Yeah, yeah. But everything one day, one week at a time. You are going to sing though for Katrina Toomey because no one says no to Katrina Toomey. What happened there? No, Katrina rang me. Um, myself and Sam, my son, used, we used to join the High Hopes yeah. a couple of years back now. Um, and sure, look, they're fantastic. I loved it, mm. you know. So, yeah, she asked me, she rang me the other night and says, Karen, will you sing on Friday night? And I said, oh, yeah, uh, I will, I said, I will. So I'm going to get into, it's outside the City Hall, I think, on Friday night, mm. nine o'clock. And Are you nervous about that? No, I'm not. Mm. You know, I suppose I'll have a little bit of, but look, there's Hank Riddell and all that, the lads are there, Roy Buckley, I think I hear Miles Gaffney's going to be there, so it should be good crack. Mm. You know. Will it be emotional? Probably. Yeah. Probably, you know. I don't want people tapping me on the shoulder going, well done. I don't want people feeling sorry for me, I really don't. Mm. 
the, the one thing I will say, since I've come down, I've been blessed with the help of my family and friends. The one thing, I've seen an occupational therapist once since I came down. We are just forgotten about, which is a disgrace. Mm. Right, I've got a wheelchair here that's on loan from a very good friend of the family's, Garrod Harley in MMS Medical. Mm. And that came up to the NRH to me, and I'm waiting. I'm getting physio every second Friday mm. in the clinic in Blackrock. I was getting physio six days a week in the NRH. Mm. I was getting occupational therapy three times a day, mm. five days a week. And that's not the fault of the people here in the boat. They do what no. they can to you. Oh it's just God. the services, aren't they? They're, no, they're fantastic here for me. I ring a bell and they're here. Mm. You know, look, you look around here, I've got this beautiful apartment, mm. you know, but I think the COVID excuses mm. needs to stop, you know. Yeah, but one thing about COVID, your experience, Karen, I think, there are those out there who say it's just the flu. It took our friend and it damn nearly took you. It did. It did. And you know, these people that don't want to get vaccinated, oh my God, please do. Please do. That's Karen Kramer talking to me during the week. Katrina Toomey, I said no one ever says no to you. He couldn't. What? What? What is happening tonight? Hi, PJ. Um... God, that was emotional listening to that, wasn't it? Ah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I know Karen. you know, since since we were kind of both, both young and I remember him and, you know, singing Living on a Prayer, you know, yeah. Bon Jovi, you know, that at the Shandon Festival. And, like, that's what he spoke about. He was always active and he wants to remain active and he wants to get back into being active again. Yeah. And this is where the services kind of leave everybody down, really. They take them so far and then they don't take them any further. Yeah. And, again, like, he shouldn't have to go to Dublin. A boat should be given this. They should be lots of work poured into a boat to give them what they need for to roll out the service that would help people, you know, get back a lot faster mm. and, and stuff. But um, tonight what's happening is today is World Suicide Prevention Day yeah. and we came up the North Channel last month, you know, to, in July, the end of July, under the bridges, you know, Cork City Missing Persons Search and Recovery Unit. And um, today we're going to because of the tides, we're going to focus the boats in between the two bridges, I think Clontaff Bridge and Parnell Bridge by the City Hall. Mm-hmm. And the Hall is going to be lit up for World Suicide Prevention Day. But uh, the reason we'll be there is because you can stand all around the bridges that are there and stand behind there by the, the you know, the just and face the City Hall. And yeah. outside the City Hall then, we'll have um, the bikers that will be coming down from Dublin joined by our own bikers here in Cork. Mm-hmm. We'll have Mick Ryan that started the teddy bear campaign. They're oh, picking yeah. him up way down coming to Cork. And that's been, you know, that's been very helpful to people because we've got lovely messages from people saying that they were in a dark place and, the, yeah. you know, the dark midnight yeah. and they've seen these bears and, and they've said, you know, they helped us. So we know that they do work. What, and, what uh, time is it on, K- Katrina, tonight? Well, we're, we're going to say about quarter past eight. Right. Because the High Hubs Choir will be there. And then, like we'll say, we'll start the event about quarter to nine. And we have a very special lineup for the event. You know, they're all 
Turk's greatest musicians, you know, they're, they're fabulous. Turk is full of fantastic musicians, as yes. you know, and so they're going to be there tonight. And we're also going to, like, remember all those we have lost, but we'll remember the families, the friends, the colleagues of all those who have lost someone by suicide. And we'll all be together. We'll, we're going to light candles to remember those that we've lost in the past year, well, since the pandemic by suicide. And, we, you know, and in doing that, we'll remember all those that would have died, with, we'll say, we'll, you know, it'll be, you know, raising awareness on mental okay. health on addictions, on homelessness and on the whole lot. But we'll be there okay. and we're going to, our campaign is called Love Rescue Me, so we're going to kick off with um, Love Rescue Me. That will be the song that we kick off with Great. by Bono and Bob Dylan and we have Guiding Light by Five Ants. And uh, I, I, but we're also going to do a tribute to Stephen Manning. You might remember Stephen. I do remember Stephen, yeah. Yeah, Stephen, Stephen was amazing to us in Penny Dinners, but we became great friends and we had great chats uh, uh, and stuff. And, you know, I've always had it in my mind. Uh, you know, that, Katrina, yeah, you, thought, you, you yeah. know that sometimes I have to stop you for no reason other than I time, my love. I have yeah. to stop you because the I 10 know. o'clock but news is coming. just if anybody wants to come and light a candle tonight to right. remember their love. From about, from about quarter past eight. Yeah. At the City Hall. Yeah. Katrina, your, your, your magic as always. Thank you very much. That's happening tonight at the City Hall. Uh, World Suicide Prevention Day is today, Friday, 10th of September. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Friday the 10th of September, 20 years ago tomorrow, was uh, 9-11, fateful day that changed the world. The world changed in a New York minute. And that's why that song gets played so much uh, this time of the year. That's why so many audio montages have been made over that song uh, over the last uh, few years. Uh, my good friend Gareth O'Callaghan played it that day on his show. He was live on, it was 2FM I think at the time, and he just took over. He stopped playing music and just took calls, and it was uh, one of the, an afternoon. He writes about it in his in his book, his wonderful book that's out at the moment. Vittorio says, I was at UCC preparing my syllabus on introduction to political philosophy. I was a lecturer in the philosophy department. I was told about the unfolding tragedy by a colleague and we went to the Western Star pub. Ah, Starry's. Next to the philosophy department, they had a television there. I remember looking at the images and not being able to fully process the horror of what I was seeing. I went back to my office, scrapped the syllabus and came up with an alternative one on violence, war and terrorism. I spent the next 12 weeks with my students trying to make sense of 9-11 and political violence more generally. It was very emotional. And if you're visiting students from America in my class, a few years later in 2007, I published my book, Violence and Social Justice, based on my lectures. Victoria, thank you for getting in touch. David was sitting on a truck on a loading bay in 
rally bikes in Nottingham, listening to BBC Radio News, and it broke. And I'll always remember it's one of those moments that we'll remember forever. Mary Ann, I was at work. I remember my supervisor called us to round the, his computer and we watched it. Connor was five years old, eating a sandwich. And his mom says, come down and look at the telly. I didn't. I wasn't very interested. But as I got older, I realised the gravity of the situation and how catastrophic it was. Terry was doing security in a shop in town who went for a coffee break. There was a TV in the break room. And I asked, what movie is this? What disaster movie is this? Only to be told it was real. Emily still has the newspapers in our house. I was six. I remember walking home from school with the older neighbours. Our parents were all gathered in one house watching it happen on the telly. Doesn't seem like 20 years ago. Viv is in Madrid. Buenas, Viv. I was living and working in Edinburgh. One of my colleagues came into the office and said, did you hear about the Twin Towers being hit? Thousands are dead. I thought it was the start of some god-awful joke, and I said, what's the punchline? Then I turned around and looked at his face, and I realised it wasn't the start of some awful joke. It was the start of an awful nightmare, a nightmare the world will never forget. Kevin was working in Bristol in a garage on my own, listening to TalkSport. When Mike Perry came back on the air, he started describing it, but it wasn't until I got home I could grasp it. It literally changed the world forever. Jude was driving to a meeting down Commons Road, listening to the radio as it all unfolded. I pulled in off the road by McDonald's and sat and listened in disbelief. Uh, The broadcaster, I think it was either Tony Fenton or Larry Gogan, were in shock as they described what they were seeing. It was so surreal. I think they were crying. It was horrendous. It could easily have been Gareth, actually, because he was on... Two of them that afternoon, uh, and he took over his show, like I said. Mags was in work in Carrigaline, and Ken Tobin was on air here at the time. Mags, I was in work in Carrigaline when I heard it on the news. Exactly two weeks before, I'd been standing outside the Twin Towers, having been on a day trip to New York with my sisters. And your messages are just going on and on and on. Uh, I'll get to more of them. We have audio messages coming in too. Voice notes to 083 396 96 96, like this one. This is Beck's memory of 9-11. While there have been significant historic events that have happened and unfolded over the past 20, 30 years, 9-11 is certainly one that has resonated and stayed with me, mostly because I had just returned back from New York. I was in fourth year and lucky enough to have an uncle who accepted my proposal to do my work experience with him for six months in New York. So I got to see the city at its finest. It was thriving, it was bustling, it was everything that I had seen on productions like The Sopranos and Sex and the City. Um, And I'll never forget starting fifth year and going back to school and trying to settle in to the humdrum routine of school again, having left behind parties in the Hamptons and lunches in Manhattan. It was surreal even to think about it now. And being devastated by the news that New York had been attacked and a monument that is infamous and and part of its skyline had been lost. And my auntie who worked on Wall Street had been talking to us as soon as she gotten home safely. They'd evacuated the island and said that it was frantic that people had been on top of their office buildings and roofs watching in disbelief what was happening. And there was very frustrated and angry people 
having to be evacuated, knowing that they had relatives and friends working in the Twin Towers, not far from Wall Street. And very disturbing scenes from from that whole time. And I've since returned to New York and found that it's almost been maybe a little bit lackluster because of that. And that the skyline and the atmosphere has never been the same again. So yeah, that's my experience of 9-11. Thank you for that, Bex. 083 396 96 If you'd like to share a particular memory for with, with us. Uh, people have been mentioning the newspapers. I put a picture on my Twitter last evening and we shared it this morning. I, I was on holidays, as I said, and I rang my mother uh, and I said, make sure you keep all of the papers for me because all we could get in Menorca at the time was the English papers. I actually have the Daily Express from the following day. Um, it was 300 and something pesetas because they were still they were still um, using pesetas over there then and that was an 88 page special edition um, of the Daily Express with a hor- horrific front page of the explosion declaration of war as the front page two pages two and three tens of thousands killed in, in US terror that's if you weren't sure of the number pictures of people running scared the explosion, the debris, the dust. Very famous picture of a guy, a firefighter, literally covered in ash. Help, we're dying, then silence is one of the headlines. That's the, the Daily Express, that 88 pages. I have a star, um, which has the front page. It's a wraparound, hell on earth. Uh, pages and pages and pages. The moment of sheer terror, they call it. And a photograph, a grab of the plane, the second plane going in the day the world stood still they call it um, catastrophic loss of life pictures of people being carried out firefighters and casualties and awful pictures of people leaping to their certain death you can see it spread across the newspapers people would ask afterwards was it necessary to show those photographs but I think in covering something like that it's just and, and then that was the star, then the, the examiner, uh, that was the Irish examiner at the time. The Irish examiner again, pages and pages. The Irish Times, world in shock as Bush vows terror will not defeat freedom. They had, of course, a team in New York led by Conor O'Cleary. That was the, uh, the Irish Times. The examiner, Armageddon, was the front page of the examiner. Thousands killed in terror attack on America um, uh, it was at one pound to buy or one euro 27 on Wednesday, September the 12th. A nation terrorised picture of Osama bin Laden as the chief suspect and pages and pages and pages and pages of coverage. And in the Echo, before I go to the front page of the Echo, what I'd like to do just to remind you was a few other things that was going on, like stuff that was in the in the charts at the time. Sophie Ellis Baxter was in the charts. Um, Emma Bunton from the Spice Girls from the charts with a solo single. Kylie with Can't Get You Out of My Head was in the charts. Um, there was a, a U2 song, loads more. There was Michael Jackson was in the charts. Samantha Mumba was in the charts. Moving through, like what were we the night before, before we knew any of this was going to happen, what movies were we going to? Crocodile Dundee was in the cinema. Moulin Rouge was in the cinema. Planet of the Apes. There was, a, there was a show in, there was an exam results disco scheduled for the keg, great place, on the 12th of September. All of this stuff. And then the front page of the Evening Echo 
of the 12th of September 19 or 2001. It was 65 pence, 83 cents euro. It was edition number 31,692. My brother was in the building. My sister was on the plane. A corkman tells of the horror on discovering that his brother, sister and niece were involved in the world's worst terrorist atrocity. That was the front page of the Evening Echo the day after. I've been speaking to that man and we'll hear him next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Kanye West, listen to this one. He's after asking an LA court to legally change his name mm-hmm. to Ye. Okay, that's his Twitter handle, isn't it? Yeah. Y-E, at Y-E. Yeah, yeah. so Y-E. Um, so he wants to be called Ye. I just think he wants people to sound more excited when they see him. Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> he walks into a room. I haven't been cheered in a while, so I'm thinking of changing my name. Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city, a long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at milldc.com. Cork's 96FM. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. So the man was Mark Clifford. His sister, Ruth, was on the plane. So was her daughter, Juliana. And his brother, Ron, was in one of the buildings. I chatted with Mark during the week. So Mark, this is a very poignant day for you and your family uh, because your experience of 9-11 is very, very painful indeed. Let's begin by going right back to that day. What were your plans for the 11th of September 2001? Well, on the 11th of September, um, I set off very early morning um, 
from Cork to attend a funeral of um, a friend in Dublin. And when the funeral service was over, I found myself in the St. Stephen's Green Club uh, where there was a reception. Um, while having some refreshments there, we were called down to the bar in the St. Stephen's Green Club where there was the whole 9-11 story was starting to emerge yeah. on the newscast. Um, my first visual of the, the towers uh, was um, the plane crashing into it. Was it the first or the second one was the one you saw? So it was the first one I saw. Right. And um, I asked uh, someone close to me as to what was what was this? Was this a, mo- a new movie out or something? And I said, no, that's live coming from the United States. I immediately thought about my brother Ron because the conversation we had on phone uh, the night before was the fact that he would be in that building mm. uh, with um, a, a friend of his. He was, he was attending a meeting. There was a, kind of an important meeting happening. And the fact that he... Uh, this conversation went on about the 93 bombing in on the Twin Towers and this man's office was uh, very badly damaged and was only held up by literally two uprights wow. after the bombing. So, uh, so by the time I had put two and two together as to the time, uh, New York time, I said, you know, I better ring Ron um, straight away and ask him how he is, mm. you know? I had difficulty getting through to Ron, but I proceeded to to actually leave the St. Stephen's Green Club and head back for Cork because I kind of knew there was something happening. While heading back, um, I kept pressing read on my phone in the car and found out very simply that Ron was heading home after uh, being involved in, um, in, in, in the horrific hmm. uh, things that were happening in, in in the building at the time and he, he was quite disturbed and he just said, look, I want to just get home to my family. I want to get home. I want yeah. to get home. About how long after it had happened was he on his way home? He, he'd gotten out quickly, obviously, had he? He didn't get out that quickly, no. Um, he's, his story was he a bit was in the building. Um, he um, was getting ready for his meeting Um he heard a thundering crash outside and looked outside and the street was literally on fire. He saw a lady in the distance through the smoke, literally scrambling, and she was very badly burnt. Ron rushed out onto the street, even with the debris falling, pulled her into the building. And he noticed that she had incredibly bad injuries she had her face uh, her hair was melted into her head and he brought her straight to uh, give her first aid in the in into the building and the safety of the building at the time um with jenny ann her name was uh, jenny ann mathia hmm. and jenny ann uh, he stayed with Jenny Ann until they got some aid first aiders arrived to help jenny ann with that, about 15 minutes elapsed and the second plane crashed into the second tower. When he saw the second one going in, how, how quickly did he get out? Because obviously he was, at this stage, running for his life. 
he didn't see the second one going in. He was literally at the base. He was down by the lifts uh, of the building, giving first aid to Jenny Ann and, mm. and trying to comfort her because she was in a very bad injured state. Um, while the second plane crashed, they heard the rumble uh, and roll of a building. You know, Ron's, Ron is a, a, an architect and used to work literally just one block from um, the Twin Towers in in the in, in that district. He worked for the New York City Housing Authority. So his interest is in buildings and how they work. And, and he'd been in the Twin Towers many times, just even as a uh, as a city architect, just to um, have have a look at the construction and uh, the yeah. mechanics of how a building that size works. He, uh, while they were administering first aid to Jenny Ann, Mathia, the this second crash happened, and a big rumble came down through the lift shaft, and and the building literally rocked. The first aiders said to Jenny Ann and Ron, can, can, we, can we get up and get run? And he asked Jenny Ann, could she walk? And so she said she could walk. So they made for an exit and like basically went with the paramedics to, um, to basically get out of the building. They said, let's um, get the hell out of here. And they rushed Basically, to, um, to 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 safety, and like there is definitely there is footage of Ron actually heading out uh, of the building and uh, towards the ambulance area, and getting uh, Jenny Ann into um, into an ambulance. Well, one of the interesting PJs, one of the new uh, documentaries, come out lately with um, National Geographic, yeah, and they got material from the 9/11 Memorial Museum. Uh, very new footage that I haven't seen and there's some footage there which is very interesting and I, I've never seen before now Ron helped with the documentary and he's done quite a lot of documentaries in the past mm. uh, and it's very hard for me he, he, is, he does documentaries but he, he never watched them yeah uh, he, just, he says it finds it too hard the memories of that day must, yeah. they must yeah. tear him apart and, and, and his heroic actions and should always be remembered yeah so he so I, I managed to get in contact with Ron while he was making his way out of the city they mm -hmm. closed all the bridges um, literally closed all the the, the, the um, main roads into and out of New York so Ron managed to get across like he normally do, would have done every morning by a, a Port Authority ferry over to New Jersey's side of the city where mm -hmm. Ron could make his way home. On that day it was his daughter's 11th birthday on the 11th. She was 11 years of age mm. and he wanted to get home. He just had enough of what, of what he saw and heard. Mm. So he gets home safely shaken obviously terribly at what point did he or then you realize what had happened with Ruth and, and Juliana? Multiple phone calls. Um, I, yeah, yeah. So I, I rang Ron again and he said, look, I'm a bit worried about Ruth. Um, and I said, I said, what do you mean? I, I, I had talked, to, I had left a, a voicemail with Ruth the night before and I asked Ron, um, I thought she was in, the, in, in L.A., and um, so he said, I'm a bit worried about Ruth. He says that Alan Hackett, which is the Paige's husband, had dropped them off the three, the party of three to Logan uh, that morning. So 
And so at that point, we sent my brother, uh, I have another brother in the United States, Spencer. We spent, sent Spencer to Logan to just hang out and see, could he get any other information? In the meantime, I used some contacts I have with the press to see, could I get any other information? And I have a friend who's a barrister in Ireland, and they had a very good contact with the uh, Boston Globe. They got in contact. So very early, the press uh, got involved in our story. And uh, and we've, we found out that Ruth literally was on the plane. I was still on a journey um, from... Uh, from Dublin to Cork on the car. And seemingly I was the only person who could actually get information out of the United States because most of the landlines got blocked. Mm-hmm. and But the mobiles weren't for some reason. So I was able to get through. Anytime I rang Ron, I could get through to him and talk to him. Mm. It was well into my journey to Cork, um, literally, um, as I was coming in, that I found um, that Juliana was also on the, the plane with Ruth. And uh, that destroyed me. Of course, of course. Like, you had this impending sense of dread because you couldn't locate them. Plus, you knew they were travelling from Boston to to L.A. Describe your feeling as you're coming down the motorway. It was probably the most surreal day I've ever spent in my life because uh, here I am, um, I have people ringing in to me, um, just general chatting about, United States people ringing to asking them to not clog up the phone that I want to get urgent phone calls out. I was able to get through to Ruth's uh, husband. Mm. I was able to get through to um, Ruth's uh, or to my brother uh, Ron. Uh, I was able to get through to uh, Spencer in in Logan, and uh, and I was relaying a lot of the information then mm. to my brother John and uh, trying to get uh, get on the road. I really literally had a, a very numb finger from redialing mm. um, constantly, to, uh, literally just to try and yeah. pull information. But it, I had to stop a couple of times yeah. um, and and just take uh, take a breath because it it was possibly the most overwhelming day I've ever had in my life. And then the realization, the worst possible has happened. How do you yeah. cope with a moment like that? Coping with it is is easy um, in the sense that I, in later life, have joined the Samaritans in court. Mm. And being a Samaritan helps me to know that, that grief, you'll never have a monopoly with grief or despair, you know, no matter what, how bad you feel. And you can feel bad that there are people out there that feel worse than you and, and your experiences can actually help them through uh, the trials that, that life will throw at them. And that, that helps me. Yeah. I've spoken to you before um, on other occasions and you say that you, you, you continue to retell the story and revisit the pain for Ruth. Explain that. It's... There's a lot of unresolved issues about the 9-11 story. There's only one person ever been tried. There are people who live, or who not live, who are incarcerated in Guantanamo Bay on the pretext that there's going to be a trial someday. There's um, a man called Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who was educated in, in the United States and is one of the 
major designers of the 9-11 attack, along with Osama bin Laden. Mm. This week, there are new documentaries. I watched one on Netflix the other night. They claim to be new, sensational new information, never revealed before, new evidence. But in reality, they're not new, are they? There's a lot of questions remain unanswered in your mind. An amazing amount of questions. Hmm. Like for the benefit of listeners in a, in, a, in a very basic way, Mark, would there be, say, three questions that you want answered 20 years on? Three basic questions. Three, three questions. What happened on the days leading up to the, the 9-11 attack? Um, why isn't there more information about the, um, the evidence they have against the perpetrators of the 9-11 attacks? And um, why 20 years have elapsed and still very little very little information. Hmm. Like Osama bin Laden is dead, but that doesn't close the book. Oh, no, no, definitely not. Tell me about Ruth, Mark. What kind of person was she? Ruth is a beautiful person. We spent um, lots of lovely summers together. Ruth, um, my parents split up when I was about nine years of age. Ruth, as a 14-year-old, was brought to the United States. Um, she went to college. She joined the Barbizon Agency, which were the people who, who published Vogue and Cosmopolitan and became the model. She was very business oriented and set up a, her own beauty spas. She had a beauty spa in Boston and in New York and, and was very well connected in, in the Boston business world. She met David, they got married and um, Juliana was born to them and they lived in um, New London. David was suffering from cancer uh, and Ruth decided that she'd give up everything she was doing and, and uh, literally concentrated all her resources into trying to get David well. So that was Ruth. Um, but we spent lovely times on holidays with Ruth. Ruth came over very rarely to visit her nieces and nephews. And um, she spent lots of beautiful quality time in Ireland and we spent lots of beautiful quality time in New York, uh, yeah. in, in New London with Ruth and Juliana. Yeah. Mark, I know it's difficult for you today and thank you for being with us. Um, as you say, you won't rest until those questions are answered and you do this for Ruth and her memory and Juliana and hers. And I thank you very much for being with us on, on this difficult anniversary. Thank you, PJ. That's Mark Clifford. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Following their two sold-out shows in early 2020, Flash Harry returned to Cork with a celebration of Queen Live at the Opera House on Saturday, September 25th. 
25th. Irish National Opera presents Least Like the Other, Searching for Rosemary Kennedy. It's created by Brian Irvin and Netta Jones and an explosive, thought-provoking work of experimental music theatre. It takes place at Cork Opera House on Wednesday, September 22nd. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Cork's 96FM. It's amazing to think that McCambridge whole wheat bread was first baked over 75 years ago. And the original recipe is the one you can still enjoy today. Back then, not many people were thinking no preservatives, low fat, high fiber. Today, that's exactly what great tasting McCambridge bread still delivers. Please don't ever change. Change? We wouldn't dare. Love Irish food. Love McCambridge bread. A tradition made fresh every day. Tourism is at the heart of Ireland and we are the pulse. We are the entertainers and explainers, the palate pleasers and the day seizers. We are the wish makers and drink shakers, the birthday singers and the crack bringers. We are the managers, the make it happeners. We are every spill and every thrill and you can be too. As the country reopens, we need people like you. Visit tourismcareers.ie today and be part of The Pulse. Brought to you by Fulcher Ireland. We all know a great night's sleep is vital for our well-being. We spend one third of our lives in bed, so a good mattress is crucial. Swan Beds recommends for a better night's sleep, replacing your mattress every eight years. A better sleep means a better you. Replace every eight at Swan Beds, Cork's only exclusive bed store, because your sleep is important to us. Shh, it's a Swan Bed. He was standing at the vitamins and supplements counter reading the packaging of a vitamin C product. Neve works at Lloyd's Pharmacy. It was coming into winter, so I wasn't surprised to see him standing there preparing to get ready for the months ahead. So I approached him and handled it from there. It's not just the extensive hours of training. You see, I like to take the time to select the most appropriate vitamins and supplements to suit my customers' dietary and lifestyle needs. For the supplements and vitamins you'll need to get you through winter, we've got a wide selection at buy one, get one half price. Terms and conditions apply. For added convenience, order online or pop in store and say hello to the people that know. Lloyd's Pharmacy, Cork's 96FM healthcare partner. Join Casey and Ross in the morning on Cork's 96FM all next week for your chance to win with O'Callaghan Leisure Gym Equipment. We've got a treadmill to give away to one lucky listener. O'Callaghan Leisure Gym Equipment. The future is fitness. Start yours at their new showroom, South Ring Business Park, Kinsale Road, Cork. Listen to Casey and Ross all next week from 6am to win with O'Callaghan Leisure only on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Courts 96 FM. Yeah, again, I'm going to park 9-11 memories for a little while, although we have stacks of your memories coming in, WhatsApp, voice messages and texts and all coming into us. I get to as many as I possibly can of them between now and quitting time at 12 o'clock as we look back on a day that changed the world and stopped us all in our tracks 20 years ago tomorrow. But something entirely different. I was up at UCC uh, last week collecting from my pal JP Quinn the lovely piece of the uh, college bar floor that he'd kept 
for me. We talked about it on the programme earlier on in the year. But he also gave me a copy of a little book that he's written called A Bee at UCC, which tells the story of Bully the Bee. And he also gave me a pot of honey because they're making their own honey now up in UCC from their own hives. It's called Alma Nectar, which is kind of appropriate. I just wanted to mention that to say thank you to JP for all of that. And it brings me to our next topic of conversation because the bees have been really struggling this summer, particularly in the hot spells that we had in the end of July. And it turns out now that new research tells us that bees really struggle in hot weather. So an Irish business has developed a sensor so that beekeepers can tell when the bees are uncomfortable. Dr Fiona Edwards Murphy. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm great. Thanks very much for having me on. Good. Now, this is the APIS project, APIS Protect. Where, where does your interest in bees stem from? Great. Um, so, my own background is actually in, in engineering. So, I came, at, I came at this whole area from, I guess, the opposite end to what most people expect. So, I was studying uh, electrical and electronic engineering at UCC and got really interested in sensor technologies or what we call, it definitely wasn't called then, but today we call it the Internet of Things, which is all about using sensor technologies to um, understand what's happening in the real world and to use that information to improve um, what we're doing in the real world, whether it's agriculture or health or um, even building houses and building roads and stuff like that. Um, So I fell in love with sensor technologies and just as I was finishing up, my undergrad degree in UCC, I started to learn about beekeeping. So I just started getting into it as a bit bit of a hobby, a bit of an interesting thing to learn about. Um, And when I started to learn and understand about uh, how many problems beekeepers deal with every day, I mean, like you were mentioning heat there, but that's just one of a huge laundry laundry list of challenges that beekeepers face. And one of the biggest problems that's kind of universal everywhere in the world is that beekeepers don't know what's happening in their beehive until they actually go out there, put on their suit, open up their beehive and have a rummage around. And I just went, oh, wow, that's exactly what sensor technologies are designed to, to help people, you know, not waste their time opening beehives that don't need to be opened. Yeah. So you develop sensors that can, sensors that can go into the hive, is that it? Yeah, exactly. So what we do at Apex Protect um, is we have our sensor technology. So it's a small little device. It's about the size of an iPhone and that goes inside the beehive. And in there, we uh, measure things like temperature changes. We measure the sounds from the beehive and whether or not the beehive is moving as well. It's a very important one because if somebody's running off with your beehive, you want to know about it. (laughs) And um, we apply a technology called machine learning which is basically a, a, a trained computer that's able to identify patterns in data. It's the same way that like Netflix knows what kind of movies and TV shows you like, or yeah. Spotify knows what kind of music you like. And we're able to help the beekeepers understand which beehives are behaving differently to their other beehives, which beehives might be really hot, really cold, not making as much noise as you expect at this time of year. And really what that helps our beekeepers do is understand when they've got beehives that are behaving differently to other beehives in their area, if they really have an emergency that they need to get out there, like for example, if your beehive is knocked over during the winter and those bees get really cold, they could die or they could leave. Uh, mm-hmm. If you don't get out there as quickly as that. 
Yeah. Oh, that line isn't the best, Fiona. We have a massive number of beekeepers in, in Ireland. Four and a half thousand people keeping bees and over 27,000 colonies of bees. So there's a huge market there for Apis Protect. There is, yeah. So we're working with beekeepers at this stage. We do have beekeepers um, on board in the USA. And now our technology is available to beekeepers in Ireland and beekeepers in the UK. So it's, it's particularly exciting for us to be coming back now and working with the, I guess, the beekeepers that we've known for a very long time, the, yeah. the, the market that we've known for a very long time. And we will be expanding um, next year into more European countries as well. So there's um, actually 18 million uh, beehives in Europe. So we're we're the home of the honeybee. Is, is, <laughs> it any wonder, is it any wonder then you've been named by Forbes magazine as one of the 30 under 30 to watch in 2021? The only thing I can think of with regard to this thing about the size of an iPhone put into a beehive, the bees will probably work away happily around it, but how do you, how do you charge the battery? Oh, so we actually use AAA batteries. Um, so it's the same as basically putting some batteries into your... Uh, remote control for your TV or something like that. And what what we've we've put a lot of our engineering work into making sure that we can get a lifespan as long as possible out of those batteries and making sure that, say, you know, obviously it's pointless for us to ask beekeepers in the middle of December to change their batteries because they don't want to open their beehives. They want to leave those bees alone. And so what what we've put a lot of work into is it can get up to um, several years of life out of those batteries. Out of one AA battery? Oh, four, sorry, four AAA batteries. So there are four of them in. Four of them. (laughs) And it gets, crikey. (laughs) (laughs) That's the business. Listen, that line is is not cooperating with us. But if people want to find out more, particularly beekeepers, they can can look up Apis Protect. And we'll talk again about bees because I know you, you have a fascination for them. They've become a whole new range of interest for you. But that line isn't cooperating today. Fiona Edwards Murphy of Apis Protect sensors for beehives and it's going to take over the world and listen if she can invent can you anytime she could turn your attention to mobile phone batteries Fiona and let's get a mobile phone that can put a battery into it and last for a couple of months that'd be great wouldn't it but thanks for that uh, Fiona Edwards Murphy lots of your memories still coming in for 9-11 both audio and written uh, I was in a cabin crew with Aer Lingus based in Dublin I was at home with both housemates who were also cabin crew and a partner who's a pilot. We were on call at home and we got the call. There was a news flash. We sat in a daze, staring at the TV. Our phones started ringing to see where we were. It seemed so surreal. Two weeks later, my first trip back was New York and myself and the other crew members went down to pay our respects. The area was still smouldering. Two weeks later. Thanks for that. Plenty more besides. More of your recorded ones coming up. But Dennis, there was news during the week. Amazon are building this colossal, what they call fulfillment centre in Dublin. Now, a fulfillment centre is where you buy something and Amazon, it's like a depot. And it comes from Amazon's supplier to the depot and then Amazon get it to you. And we don't have one of those in this country yet, which is why we order our Amazon from the UK, or they order we order from Germany now, Amazon DE to cut out all the charges and all the carry-on. But we don't have a fulfillment centre in Dublin, and they're going to build one there over the next year or so. But Dennis, you've spotted a bit of a problem. Good morning. 
Uh, good morning, PJ. Just a quick uh, comment on this. It made my blood boil when I heard it. Because I was saying all the time that it would be obvious for Amazon to build a major base here to supply the rest of Europe since Brexit. And heard nothing until it came on the radio there. Yes, we're, we're coming to Ireland. We're going to employ a whole heap of people, which is absolutely brilliant. Mm. But now, here's the sting in the tail. Now, whether it has come from revenue or, like a lot of these things, maybe I don't have all the information, but you're now going to still have to pay all the stupid things like delivery, taxes, uh, VAT, VRT, all these other things, because you have to order through England. Now, that should be put a stop to straight away. But isn't there, there is an Amazon.ie website at planning yeah. stages. And my understanding of this story is that they will, like you order now to avoid the British taxes, you can avoid from, you can order from Amazon.de because they have an English language site, version of the German site, and you can avoid all those. One would assume that there'll be an Amazon.ie where the supplier will just supply Amazon in Ireland and we all sort all that out. Well, if that is the case, uh, I would be delighted. But I have used Amazon uh, Germany and they don't seem to have the same range of products. There is a problem. We can't supply this to your area. We can't supply that to your area. Yeah, That's right. And more so lately, it seems to be coming up that we won't supply. Now, this smacks of all the time going back that these governments going back to the EU where if you wanted to bring a car in from England even though it was illegal for this government to slap extra tax on you under EU legislation, the government said, no, no, we'll pay that fine and we'll still rob the people of Ireland and revenue will put their taxes on you. Yeah, you would hope, wouldn't you, that it's not an Irish solution to an Irish problem, but certainly we're we're getting an Amazon fulfilment centre. Like, there are companies in Ireland supplying Amazon anyway. So so one would hope, like, one one huge one is Big White Rabbit. It's based here in in, in Cork. A huge company supplying Amazon. One would hope that it'll end up as an Irish centre and we'll get over the problem that that you see. Well, just to give you an experience there last week, due to the lockdown, I have been using, like most other people, uh, yeah, I'd like to get that. Amazon have it, yeah, we'll get it. Well, I got something in August, and then I got billed by TNT this month for for revenue that they they claimed that they had paid revenue. Well, fair enough if they had, and there's a bill outstanding, it has to be paid. So I rang TNT in Cork, and I got a very nice lady over in England. So then I tried ringing the TNT offices in Dublin, and you'd be talking about working from home, Five lines, sorry, we're not picking up on these calls. But yet, there's this bill, nobody accountable, and Mm. it has to be paid, you know. So the thing to do is stop all this nonsense, order through Ireland. Hopefully now it's what you say, that'll be .ie. Hopefully it'll work that way, yeah. Because I I, I did read about an Amazon.ie site, and they said that one of the reasons they weren't doing it was there was no fulfillment centre here. But now they're going to build one. Yes. And then in the news, then it said... The news then is said this morning, which made my blood boil, well, you're still going to have to pay your VRT and your import duties. Now, people should watch this and hold this government to task. Very, very, that'll be very interesting to see what, what, what happens with that. Dennis, thank you very much. That's, uh, that's news to me. If we'd have to pay all the duties 
because that's not what a, an Amazon fulfillment center is. And listen, don't be getting on to me now about Bezos, right? Don't be getting on to me about Amazon. It is what it is, and it does what it does. But the thing with the German one, I've noticed this recently. I'll tell you about it later on. Even one of Amazon's own products, their own, one of the own, I couldn't get it from their site in Germany. So Dennis is right in that regard. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast or on 96FM.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, ask Pierce to stay on there in the newsroom. Pierce, I think you were in Dublin on 9-11, were you? What I, happened? Yeah, I was living up there. Um, on the, I remember the day, I guess like everybody does now, funnily enough, like it was yesterday. I was called to a friend's mother and her daughter had sent a message to say that a small plane had flown into the Twin Towers. Didn't take any notice of it really and then I called around to some friends a number of hours later and they were all sitting in shock and disbelief and I, I hadn't a clue what had happened and then I sat down and watched the events unfold over and over and over and over again and I guess as time goes on and you realise just how far reaching it was like I worked with a girl in Dublin and two of her friends were fire officers that died in 9-11 yeah yeah you know, so it even affected people here in Ireland oh it did it did you know? a huge effect Pierce thanks thanks for that mate 1850-715-996 also our pal uh, Simon Murdoch has been in touch hey Pete Simon here from the afternoons I think everybody remembers where they were um, when they heard the news about 9-11 or saw those first images. I remember I was in school leaving search year. Um, it was in between the last class, so, sorry, in between the second last class and last class of the day uh, in the corridors as students were changing classrooms. Lads saying, whispering, did you hear about the Twin Towers in New York? You know, there's planes have crashed into them, there's been explosions. Um, and then after the last class, I remember hundreds of students and teachers all kind of crammed around one television in the canteen in school and watching Brian Dobson do a, a live kind of news news flash breaking news alert um, and he was taking the live feed from New York and we watched as the first tower collapsed hundreds of, of, of students um, in the school just jaws on the floor not knowing what was going on um, and you know, from then on, it was it was on the TV, uh, pretty much rolling news for the hours and days after. So yeah, huddled around uh, uh, a TV in the canteen of school with about I don't know two or three hundred other students and teachers. That's where I was uh, twenty years ago. That's uh, how Simon remembers it. And you're telling us how you remember it. Fiona says, "Hi, PJ. We were on our honeymoon in the middle of the Caribbean on a cruise ship." Never, ever forget it. Aoife was on the bus coming home from school. Uh, Dad's cousin was working in the Pentagon and family in America couldn't get information. The entire country's phone lines uh, were busy. They phoned us so we could get the information for them. Thankfully, he was working on the other side of the Pentagon when the plane 
went in there. Uh, there's a song by Alan Jackson called Where Were You? It's what people were doing that day. I know the song. I was working, my sister lives in Washington, D.C. and was so worried if she'd been anywhere near the wash, near the Pentagon, but thank God I was okay. Uh, Stuart in Middleton, I was working in a pub in Middleton, watching it all unfold before my eyes. And I remember your good friend Gareth O'Callaghan playing New York Minute. I can't believe it's 20 years. Uh, where's more? PJ, American John here, living in New York. I was in Chicago to see a friend, woke up to Howard Stern's coverage of the attack. Went out to see what was going on in the sky. Thought Sears Tower in Chicago might be next. Chicago just shut down. Everybody left work. Not a plane in the sky. The pubs and diners were packed, but not a party. There's tears all around. A lot of shock. Uh, the train to Chicago was empty. The train home back to New York was packed. Still no planes in the sky. And there's loads and loads, and I'll get to that. And Dermot has an important one. He said, Dermot, I hope you will have enough time to mention that the poor firemen and police that ran into the danger of the fumes and the unstable buildings, they suffered terrible damage to their lungs, long-term disease and physical injury. And not too long after, they were described as public service leeches by Giuliani and they were all laid off. And you're not wrong, Dermot, the treatment of those poor people and those heroes of the day was appalling. In the in the aftermath, here's another little grab of memories. This was the, was a guy used to work here one time called Brendan Burke. And Brendan worked in our production department, and he went on to form his own company called Sonic Surgery. Brendan's one of the best in the business, and he put this package together. Now, Brendan, my apologies. The original package was six minutes. I've cut it down a little bit because we got so much to do. Uh, voiced by a guy called Roscoe Lee Brown. But this is Brendan Burke from Sonic Surgery and Tin Pot Productions. His take on 9-11. The world we live in makes no concessions to common sense. Oblivious to morals, blind to justice, without any forewarning, events can rend our lives asunder. The way we feel, the emotional and physical landscape we occupy, will all change in the blink of an eye. I was in the past train and there was a huge explosion sound. Everyone came out. A large section of the building is blown out around like the 80th floor. It, was it hit by something or was it something inside? It was inside. inside. It it was was inside. inside. Because it looked out, everything was coming out. Everything all the windows coming. were coming out, all the papers. Were there any people hurt, do you know? Um, I just ran and everyone in the past train just ran. I don't know if anyone was hurt, but I assume they were because the windows were all blown out. The thing that I will remember most about that day is the color of the sky. It was the bluest sky you could ever see. I, I just witnessed a plane that appeared to be cruising uh, slightly lower than normal at altitude over New York City, and it appears to have crashed into, uh, I don't know which tower it is, but it hit directly in the middle of uh, one of the World Trade Center towers. New York City, September 11th, 7th Avenue South at Commerce Street. I don't know what to write. I continue to feel as if I could and should cry all of this away. Well, I was at the time home with my 14-day-old baby. 9-11-2001, um, I was a senior in high school. I was in my um, economics class. It was my first period class. I uh, came out of the subway turnstile and saw a lot of people running back into the subway, uh, screaming that something hit the World Trade Center. Today were the terrorist attacks in New York, and today was my first look at war. George, have a mobilized army. We need the army in Manhattan. I have never felt so scared. I've never felt so nauseous with hurt. 
I have been at St. Vincent's Hospital all day trying to help in some way. I am a doctor, but so unprepared to adequately help. Senator, we heard a big bang, and then we saw smoke coming out, and everybody started running out, and we saw the plane on the other side of the building, and there was smoke everywhere, and people were jumping out the windows. Over there, they're jumping out the windows, I guess, because they're trying to see themselves. I still see the firefighters brought to St. Vincent's in ambulances, police cars, civilians' cars. Even wagons, wagon loads of men in uniform. 19-4, I cannot forget the face of two men in particular. One of the men, like so many others, came in cardiac arrest. I started chest compressions while still in the street in front of St. Vincent. His leg was mutilated, covered in soot, his fireman jacket torn. He was gray. His skin, his clothes, his teeth. He rolled his eyes up and looked at me. His eyes were so gray and weak. I don't know if I have ever really looked into someone's eyes before. I mean, really looked. Today, I had the longest five-second stare I will ever know. Life goes on. Routine is recreated. Our days find shape, and with hope pulling us forward, we forge ahead. But we don't forget. Oh, we don't forget. 20 years ago today, that actually is... Um, that's not the grab of me, that one, because uh, they talk about the people who were jumping from the windows and the day that it happened, I was back in the bar in the place we were staying in holidays and Leon was the guy who who had the place and he, at one point, was in tears behind the bar. And um, I, I went up and I was buying a drink and I said, "What? what are you okay, my friend? And... He had been a chef and a waiter in a previous life, and he had been chefing in the Windows of the World, which was the restaurant on top of the World Trade Center. Before he he packed it in, and he came and he opened a bar, opened a, a restaurant in in Spain. Um, Leon, uh, what a guy! He was an, an amazing fella. But we we stayed there all night watching it. We stayed there till four or five o'clock in the morning and watched those live pictures of people jumping it was the most horrible thing I've ever seen Mike Burke grew up in the Bronx Uh, his people are from Kerry and Mayo Mike was a carpenter and he was an official in the Carpenters Union at the time and he was one of thousands of volunteers who just dropped everything and ran to see could they help he lives back in Kerry these days and devotes his life to charity and fundraising. And this weekend, he's organising a charity golf classic in memory of the murdered Garda, Colm Harkin, who was a family friend. But I've also been speaking to Mike Burke about his memories. On the day of 9-11 itself, Michael, what do you remember about that day 20 years ago? Well, the night before, my kids called and told me, Dad, Mom's not bringing us to school. So I was a shop steward on a big job in Manhattan, so it didn't really matter what time I went in, you know? Mm. So I went and I picked them up, and there was a lot of traffic. So I said I'd stop in the bar that I worked in to give the guy uh, a cup of coffee. There was no telly on when I went in, and we were there about a minute. The door burst open. I thought, that's it. He's interrupted the register, this guy. And he started roaring to turn on the television. He was supposed to be on the 97th floor. And we, that's when I saw what happened. I walked out into the street in Yonkers and I could see the smoke bellowing from Manhattan. So how far away were you? I was about 
let me see, say about seven, eight miles. Right. That's not far, you know? No, it's not. So you stood there and you watched, obviously. Yes. And I stood out in the street and I watched. And then I came back in. And after I watched it, and I also, I was there till it collapsed, okay? So now there was no going to work. That was that, that was finished. Manhattan was shut down, everything. So I ran down to the hardware store. I knew the guy. I got asbestos suits. I got gloves. I got duct tape. And I had all my tools. And I called my best friends, Desi Bro from outside Charleston in Mayo, and uh, Aiden Wiseman, who played for Loud, and uh, he's in um, Dundalk. They came down the next morning with me. We had to park the car about a mile away. We walked and walked. You couldn't even see. It was so bad. When we got there, you could not get on this site. They had the FBI. They had the army. They had everybody. Mm. I walked up and down the line, saw this guy's badge, said Lynch, and I said, are your parents from Kerry? My dad. I said, look, I showed him my 20 licenses. I said, I'm here to replace three guys that have been here all night. He said, go ahead, guys. What was it you were doing? What, what was your work? What did you do? Well, when we got there, everyone was given a bucket, and you got on the bucket brigade. The bucket brigade went up about seven to eight stories high, and the steel was very dangerous. There was steel dangling everywhere. They would tie, uh, tie a rope to your leg. You had a helmet on with a light, and anyone that was skinny enough went into the voids, okay, looking, feeling around, and then they, you, would, you would ring the bell, and they would pull you back out. So you were crawling into the wreckage with a rope on you. Into the voids. Wow. Underneath the steel beams. We lost so many guys. Martin Coughlin from Capoweiss in Tipperary. Brian Monaghan, a young kid, was an apprentice in the Carpenters Union. He died. How, how yeah. long did you spend volunteering at the site then? I mean, that was very, it was hazardous work. It was dirty, filthy work. But how long did you stay there? It was crazy, okay? I went down that morning, and we left the site at a quarter to 11 that night, and there was thousands of people out in the street trying to give us hugs and kisses and water, sandwiches, and the car was about a mile away. I did that for eight days, eight nights, and then the site was turned into a construction site. But you couldn't do any construction until everything was shored up from underneath so we could bring in cranes and everything. So then we started making ramps for the firemen, so their hoses wouldn't get damaged. The company I worked for, we had to make 45,000 windows that were blown out in other buildings, but to put them in temporarily. So it was like a football field. We had we had a plywood made up like a football field, making all these windows. Hmm. But at the same time, I was a steward, so I had a, I had a buggy because the site was so big, and I was you know I had cameras with me, taking pictures all the time. So after about six weeks, um, Brooke Shields. And Olivia Newton-John, Amanda mm. Hollyfield, loads of celebrities came down to thank us. And there was um, there was a yacht park behind. So being the shop steward, or if you were sick, if you needed to talk to somebody because of what you were seeing, you went in there. So I met Olivia and Brooks, and they signed my shirt. Okay? Michael, it's something that, you know, this weekend, you'll think back about those days that you spent down there. Every day, something I think about something new or so. By me doing this, okay. Otherwise, I'd be I'd be I'd be down to see the shrink. You know, I'll be back to seeing the shrink again. By me helping people and raising money. Last year, I raised over eight thousand for Laura Lynn Children's Hospice in Dublin. Hmm. I got twenty jerseys signed, and twenty different charities benefited from that around Ireland. 
Yeah, this weekend he's organising that charity golf classic uh, in memory of the murdered guy, the Cullum Harkin, who was a family friend. That's Mike Burke. Um, amazing guy. Amazing guy. 1850-715-996. There is a memorial garden uh, in Kinsale, a memorial to firefighters who, who lost their lives in, in that day and in the succeeding days. Uh, uh, Lord Mayor, County, County Mayor uh, Gillian Collin joins me. Uh, Mayor, good morning. Good morning, PJ. This, this is a place where people gather every September to think about those firefighters. How did it come about? Yes, PJ, it is a place in, in Corsi's Parish, um, just on the banks of the River Bandon, where people come to remember and commemorate. And it came about as a result of nurse Kathleen Murphy, who was from the, the Ringfinnan area, um, who worked in Lennox Hospital in New York for much of her life. And as uh, as you can imagine, those nurses were primed, ready for um, firefighters to come into the hospital on that day. However, 343 firefighters perished in that um, catastrophe and they went into that building knowing that their lives were at risk, trying to save other people. So, and unfortunately, there is no other memorial to them. Uh, this is the only memorial to those firefighters in the world. And 343 trees are built and are planted in this memorial garden and each one bears the name of one of those brave firefighters um, from the New York Fire Department. So it was Kathleen's wish that that garden would be created, that memorial garden would be created and it was created during her lifetime. She planted those, had those trees planted and unfortunately she has passed away but her sister Nellie and her cousin Virgil Horgan um, in, you know, keep the garden and maintain it and mm. indeed you know, it's a place of pilgrimage indeed for many, many American families who come to see their um, their na- the name of their loved one, the deceased loved one, on a tree. And it's a very poignant place and a very, very beautiful place. And I believe and a lot of Irish names to- in there. Oh, of course, yes. I mean, as as any as we know, um, the fire, police departments, um, and the army in, in the United States are are scattered through with Irish names right down through history, mm-hmm. and there are very many Irish names there, along with Italians and and many other nationalities. But yes, there are many Irish names there, and it is it is poignant. And I, I you know I commend um, Kathleen and her family for providing the land, providing that space for people to take some um, some solace and to remember and and to reflect and on uh, at the memorial sort of the centerpiece of the memorial there is a cross which was made from steel from the twin towers of that oh, day okay. so it is a very very special place indeed okay okay i know that you always want also wanted to send a message of good luck to our camogie players Yes, a very different note. Um, yeah. And yes, as we are looking forward to the, the All-Ireland this weekend, I wish the, the uh, team the very best of luck. We're all rooting for them. Um, they've done fantastically well, showed great grit and tenacity to get yeah. to the final. And I'm sure we will welcome back the O'Duffy Cup back to Cork um, very, very soon. And uh, I'm looking forward to going to the game, supporting our team there. And it's a great example to our young people to have had our hurlers and our camogie players now in the All-Ireland. Um, it's great. It's a great okay. hope for the future. Hope indeed, for the future. Indeed. And here's here's hoping for a great result on, on Sunday. Thank you, County Mayor. Gillian Collin, uh, 1850-715-996. Another one of your 9-11 messages, I think, before we go to the break. I have a few of these to clear before quitting time. This is coming in from Idel on the WhatsApp. Hi, PJ. Um, September 11th is my birthday, and I was in 
California with three friends on holidays, visiting my uh, family, um, great uncles, cousins, great aunts. And I woke up that morning and one of my friends happened to be up before me. We'd had a very restless night and I woke out, walked out to see one of the planes crash into one of the towers and my friend turned around and said, jokingly, I know it's your birthday, but would fireworks not have done? Um, when I realised what was happening, I actually ran to the bathroom and got sick because I thought this was it. We're in the middle of a war. We're never going to get home. Um, I still well up when I think of it. Um, it was, I suppose, 24 hours before I was able to get in contact with family at home. And it was just a worrying day over there for their friends and families. So we, in Irish style, we took ourselves off to the pub. Um, we were due to fly out that day to Las Vegas. Um, obviously, that didn't happen. So a few days later, instead, we, 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 we drove to Las Vegas. But yeah, it's, it's a time in history that I'll never forget, specifically, I suppose, because it's my birthday, but because it's something I never want to experience again in my lifetime. Wow. Uh, Fergal Barry, you're an evil man. He puts this into my system without even telling me that it's as emotional as that and I'm sitting here going oh my god you poor woman Adele thank you for that uh, 20 years ago this weekend Can we just talk The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With McCarthy Insurance Group Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance CMIG.ie Can we just talk the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, I'll come back again to more of your uh, 9-11 stuff. We could keep going for three o'clock at this stage with the number of memories that are, are pouring in to us. Um, but I want to go to Charleville. It's not the place you'd expect a new fashion label to spring from. But Maeve Dennehy, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good, good. In lockdown, you developed a fashion label. Like, how cool is that? <laughs> Am I cool? Good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> no, it was brilliant. It was fantastic. I, um, yeah, I suppose, look, my online business took off during lockdown more so than before. And I saw an opportunity and I went with it. I suppose back in January, I decided to create my own label. Yeah, Love Cherish, of course, is your boutique in in. That's right, in yeah, Charleville. Love Cherish is the boutique and so, um, O'Malley is the label. How do you go from a boutique to a label then? I suppose I have the boutique nine years and I'm selling online about three years. Um, we opened a large warehouse about a year and a half ago for the online and it was the next step, I suppose, really, wasn't it? I like, I wanted to, I know what people want from the last how many years and I wanted to create my own, so I contacted a fashion consultancy firm in Dubai. Um, she's an Irish lady, actually, living over in Dubai, and um, asked them to help me, and they did. And um, it finally arrived about two or three weeks ago, the first drop, and it's going really, really well, thank God. Good. And it's all based on comfort. Yes, exactly. But I'm also so sick of wearing leggings and hoodies every day during lockdown that it was just... It's like the next step up. It's like a level up from where we went for the last year. Right. That we're still really comfortable, but that we look really well. So you, you can know, dress we properly for the office, or for but you can still be as comfortable as if you're sitting at home in your, in your trackies. Absolutely. 
Absolutely, but you don't have to be in your tracksuit all the time. You can be somewhere in the middle. Do you know what I mean? Right. That's what I was aiming at. Right. And is it um, online selling you're doing now with that? Um, selling online and we have it in our boutique as well, so both. Um, we got in a lot and it's, it's flying out the door, thank God, and it's up in the shop as well. We have a shop in Charleville and, and um, we have a lot of people kind of coming down to try it on and Brilliant. the reaction has been fantastic. Uh, is business coming back a bit? Business is absolutely flying, to be honest is with you. It? I couldn't complain at all. Yeah, Fantastic. I really do think so. And I'm surprised by how much so in the bricks and mortar storage. You know, I wasn't sure about when we were reopening, but there's a fantastic business. Now, Charleville is a busy, busy town, but but people want to be out and about. People want to try on clothes. People want to get back to normality, don't they? So. Yeah. It's, it's been going really well. I couldn't complain at all. Good, good. Now, I know that um, cancer, unfortunately, mm-hmm. has played a large part mm-hmm. in the life of your family. You lost, was it both your mum and your sister? Yeah, so so yeah, Marymount right. means a lot to you and you've designed a T-shirt oh. for them. Yeah, Marymount means the world to me. Like, I opened the store in September 2012 and my sister passed away in March 2013. She was only 39 um, with breast cancer mm-hmm. and her kind of towards the very end, she wanted to go to Marymount, which obviously when you hear it, you kind of, it throws you. Do you know what I mean? We all, we all know what we associate Marymount with. But when she went there, it was the best thing possible for her. The care she received up there was just unbelievable. And I think anyone who's been there understands, do you know what I mean? Um, what it means to the family and everything. And then my mum got sick five years later and passed away in a very short period of about five or six weeks. And, um, Again, we, my mum went to Marymount and it's like it was the final thing we could do for my mum, you know. So yeah. over the years, I've been fundraising for Marymount on and off and we've raised um, 65,000 so far. Brilliant. So when I was, yeah, yeah, I'm really proud of that. And when we were doing the, when I was creating the label the last couple of months, I was always going to do something for Marymount. So we're doing T-shirts um, and all the profits will go to Marymount. Um, they're due into me hopefully next week. They're on the way on train at the moment. So um, we'll put them up for sale on the website and in the shop and all the money from them then will go to Marymount. So Fantastic. hopefully it'll help some bit, you know. Well, congratulations on the label Thank and, you very and much. the success. Thank you. And good luck with the fundraiser for Marymount. Maeve Dennehy, you'll be spreading out other branches now, will you? Because, I mean, this is I, this is the big time here. No, you can come down to Charleville. Not everything is in the city. I'm from there. We'll come down to Charleville and go shopping. I was thinking or more like online. cities of Los Angeles and Paris and New York. No, 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 no notions. They can go online and buy it. I'll, I'll hold you to that one. I know. Maeve, listen, <laughs> good to speak with you and good luck with everything. That's Maeve Dennehy from Love Cherry in Charlotte. We did talk during lockdown about how tough it was running a small business. So now she's got her new fashion label which is hitting the online and hitting the shelves. Uh, the label is called Oh Molly. Uh, 1850 715 couple more things to get through before we go back to our 9-11 memories and, and we have a few more to play for you. Um... And, and to read, like, here's one, Niall Savage from Bug the Donkey. Ah, Niall from Bug the Donkey. How are you, lad? Uh, I was in New York doing a mini tour with Bug the Donkey. Supposed to fly home the morning of 9-11. We're staying about 20-plus blocks away from the Twin Towers. Got woken up to turn on the TV to see what was happening. It was like watching a movie. Left our accommodation that day, looking up at the sky every so often. All we saw was fighter planes flying over the city. Really surreal. My wife and I had been in one of the towers the morning before 9-11, buying souvenirs. Couldn't get home until a week later. I'll never forget it. It was a very sad and strange time. Yeah, I'd been in the shopping centre under the Twin Towers only the previous St. Patrick's Day. There was a candle shop there called Crabtree and Evelyn. And Mrs. bought a candle there. Tom says, I was 
been in the Twin Towers the day before they fell. Uh, on 9-11, my wife was shopping in a shopping centre called Cherry, buying a shirt for me. I still have the receipt for it with the date. We'd had two coffees in the Twin Towers. They cost us $7.50. We'd already been in Trump Tower, got two coffees and a cake there for a fiver. The coffee was vile in the Twin Towers. My wife looked at the receipt and commented on the price and said, take a good look at that receipt now, because we won't be back. <laughs> I meant over the price, of course, and the, the horrible coffee, but sadly, my words took on a whole different meaning. And we often remember that. As you would, Tom. Thank you. 1850-715-996. The whole world seems to be catching up with a series that's been running on Amazon for a while. It's called Outlander. It's into Series 6 now. Uh, but I'm not too sure if Series 6 has actually dropped. It drops next year on Amazon. But in anticipation, people are binge-watching the first five series. It's kind of a late discovery for people. Shirley, good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. This is Shirley Donovan. What's it all about? Because I've seen promos for it on my own Amazon and trailers and stuff. What's it all about? Yes, this is exactly how I came to Outlander. It was one of these suggested watches. If you like this, you might like this. It's Outlander is a kind of a hard one to pin down into a category. It's um, it's like a time travel period drama, like a historical fantasy. It's It's got a lot going on. So I think people who, it's been compared to Game of Thrones, but I think it's more Vikings type of right. of series, you know. Um, people are kind of watching, because you have five seasons of it, and we, as you said, we'll have season six next year. So it follows the story of Claire, who is a World War II nurse who finds herself carried back to 1700s and taken captive by a group of Highlanders. Um, and obviously, because she's a nurse from the future, essentially, they consider her to be a witch, and there's a lot kind of wrapped up in that. And it kind of moves from there, they're not wanting to spoil it, obviously, we move across five seasons where you're kind of dipping between the the past and the their present, which is right. which is post war UK. Right. Gee, it sounds a bit mad, all right. It sounds like something you get easily hooked on. You get hooked on it because look, you have a lot of as with any of these sort of period drama things. There's a lot, you'll have a lot of eye rolling going on. You'll be going, yeah, right. There's a lot of melodrama, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think because with the likes of, say, for instance, taking Vikings as an example, you're staying very much in a particular era, and the story is moved through that era and location. Whereas with something like Outlander, the story and the kind of plot is moved across time mm. and generations and very different locations as well. So say a period drama like Downton Abbey stays very much in a certain um, timeline, whereas this is moving across the timeline. So the costumes and the locations kind of change with it. So that gives it a lot more colour, you know. science fiction in it too, in a way. Yeah, it's it it's it's way. very strange. I've I've never seen <laughs> anything like word. it in terms of Yeah, like I I've never seen anything like it in terms of like the fantasy history thing. Now there I stand I could stand to be corrected on this. There's probably yeah. loads and I haven't discovered them. But because I suppose in my Amazon Prime we were watching things like Vikings yeah. that when we finished that Outlander came up as a suggestion. As a suggestion and yeah. I had seen lots of people on social media discussing it and I thought, no, this isn't going to be for me at all. I don't like these historical drama things. But it does hook you because it's it's not primarily fantasy-based like Game it's of different. Thrones was. Yeah. 
it's different. And the lead character obviously is female, which is unusual. And she's Irish. It's Katrina Balfe. So oh, she, it's okay. an Irish actress. So there's an Irish interest there. Yeah. Okay. And she's, yeah. she's very good, actually. There's another one. Yeah. I'm almost afraid to look at this. Um, married at first <laughs> sight. I only, this, this could only come out of Australia. It's mad. Well, the Australian series, now, I, I'm going to hold my hands up now on this. I got into a serious relationship with this this week only, right? Mm-hmm. And when I say serious, I have devoured all the episodes. So the Australian one is more, way more controversial. But this year, apparently, for the first time, the English um, series, which is shown on E4, um, is kind of adapting itself more towards the Australian version. So basically, you have three experts matching a group of 16 single people who meet their matches for the very first time when they marry them. So they know nothing about them. They're marrying a total stranger. Oh, God. <laughs> so they're matched based on what they're looking for or what the experts believe they need. And obviously, as you can imagine, there's an awful lot of with any reality TV show, um, they're not exactly getting what they ordered. Shirley, what it's kind like of a head case signs up for that? And do you know what surprised me? Like, so I was expecting almost something like the Undateables, right? <laughs> but what you have is, what you actually have is, you know, good-looking girls, uh, nice-looking young fellas, and young being the operative word. There's only a handful of them over the age of 30, and I think only maybe one or two over the age of 40. So you're wondering, like, you know, is this just a ploy for a platform as well? This is the other side of it, I suppose, Mm. for the younger age groups that are, they're all personal trainers and, you know, all this crap. But I have to say, I thought this would be a series that I would be watching while you're scrolling on your phone. You know, mm. these things that you have on more as background noise. I don't think, PJ, that I ever picked up my phone during an episode of this all week. Really? Where's it on E4? Really. It's on E4. And if you have missed it and you want to catch up, you can watch it on the E4 app, which is free and yeah. available in Ireland as well. Yeah, you don't you have can to put have them any, on straight onto your telly and everything. That's great. Yeah. Okay. You can put them straight onto so your that, telly. So that's, that, yeah. that, that's two for the weekend, Shirley. Shirley Donovan, uh, thank you for that. Re- recommending Outlander, five seasons of it there to binge upon, and Married at First Sight on E4, which sounds, just sounds like the maddest thing. Thanks, Shirley. We will do the last of your messages. I've got a bunch more to get through on audio and a few more on screen before we finish up as we remember uh, the day we should never let ourselves forget the day the world stood still, 9-11, 20 years ago, tomorrow. And uh, spare them a thought, particularly, obviously, those who died who were in the World Trade Centre, but spare a thought for those who went to help and never came back. Uh, the firefighters, the police, the paramedics, the soldiers, people who, when we are running away from something, they run in. They ran in and many of them never came out. And those are the people that I always think of um, very specifically because, you know, many of them, were, so many of them were Irish as well. I get some more of it before we, before we finish. But I want to go to uh, Katie Sloan because this is second-hand September, um, which the clue is in the title, I guess. Katie is with Peach Vintage Clothing. Hi, Katie. Good morning. How are you? Good. There's there's a bit of a trend now towards uh, second-hand clothing, particularly for charity. There absolutely is. And I suppose 
not um, just to give you a bit of a background on my business, PJ, I um, started it in 2018. Um, and I think I just got in there just before this um, buying secondhand really, really took off because I started doing markets and I'd be in there with all the crafts and everything. And you'd always see like people would be, they'd be looking, but they wouldn't actually come up and, you know, they, they kind of say, oh, are you selling secondhand clothes? Or, mm. And then you'd say that you, you try to kind of say, oh, well, it's pre-loved, but it, it's, it's secondhand. <laughs> but like you put a bit of a spin on it. But um, pre- I love that word, day, like pre-loved. I know. <laughs> if you loved it, why did you throw it out? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And um, I suppose I'm... Um, a lover of all things vintage and antiques and um and I, so I started the business originally because I had I was a fast fashion um oh god I bought, I bought too many clothes but I also loved vintage clothing all my life um but even though I bought a lot of clothes I bought a lot of clothes in secondhand shops in charity shops um but I never admitted it so if somebody asked me if I was at a dinner dance or anything and I had a beautiful dress on, somebody would say, oh my God, where'd you get that? And I'd make sure I knew the label because I wouldn't admit to saying, oh, I bought it in the St. Vincent de Paul shop or I bought it in Enable Ireland or Oxfam because I was embarrassed. Um, but after a couple of years, you just realise, feck it, it doesn't, doesn't yeah, really matter. It's fashionable just, you know, be true to I, I met a friend last yeah, summer and yeah, he had yeah. a fabulous leather jacket on him, a really classy leather jacket. It's a beautiful jacket. Yeah. He said, 15 quid. Yeah, 15 yeah, quid in yeah, one, of the, one of the shops. <laughs> it was fabulous, yeah, yeah. you know. I know. And I suppose where, where I come in in the market there is that I take clothes from people and I resell them. That's my, that's the peach vintage clothing model. So if you have items in your wardrobe that you think that um, you're no longer wear, I take them and I resell them. And I suppose... Um, where secondhand September is really important to me um, and the reusing your clothes is um, I have two sides of the business. I have the website peachvintageclothing.com where it's, I have, um, the items are a little bit more expensive. Mm. Um, so I have a lot of vintage pieces and a lot of designer pieces on the website and I sell a lot of antiques. Um, and I also rework clothing myself um, to make it new for people. And okay. then I have the um, the group page on Facebook where I'd have the, the lower end um, pricing. So maybe like your high street clothing, um, like your pennies and your, you know, Oasis or Topshop items that would, I suppose, that they sell for a little bit cheaper because obviously they're worn, but I, I mean, everything I sell would be in excellent condition. But I do um, an auction every two weeks. Um, and it gives people a chance to bid on lower priced options, okay. items, say like your pennies item. We could start the bidding at four euro and um, it just it's just a bit of crack online and it's just a little bit different, I suppose, to the normal social media pages where everybody's engaging and having a bit of fun. Yeah. And um, you get something really cool and in excellent condition for a really cheap price, I suppose. And the clothes, the most important thing is that the clothes are reloved. Okay. And and because it's secondhand mm. September, you're are you putting mm. in extra auction items or stuff this this month? Absolutely, I suppose. Well, I, I I took a bit of a break during the summer, and um, I was a bit much quieter, and I um 
gung-ho now this last few weeks. So I have a lot of stock to go through. So um, the next auction is happening actually next Monday the 13th. Okay. Um, and it's a private auction, a private group on Facebook. So you have to be a member. Um, but it's like, you can just hit me up on social media if you want to join. Okay. But I suppose the website is is a, a, a big runner for me as well because it's more of your high-end stuff. And the website is um, Peach Vintage Clothing. Peach Vintage Clothing, yeah. Um, but if I could just um, let you know as well about people that, that we have a shop in Yall as well. So I have like um, a vintage clothing shop in Yall with my business partner, Anna Troy. Um, and that's called the Revolving Wardrobe Vintage. Um, and that's for the vintage enthusiasts. Um, and we have people we found during lockdown where we don't do much social media there. So we have people coming into the shop. Um, and just like Maeve said, with um, with her shop outside of the city, we have one in Yall that um, I suppose we have customers traveling from all over Cork and Waterford. And we've had like Limbrick people come in because they now know there's a vintage shop in East Cork. Um, and it's a real driver for the town as well. And something unique down there as well. So um, we're designed and, and it's, it's all about reusing your clothes, selling secondhand, selling vintage and making sure that um, we can cut out the fast fashion yeah. as much as possible. Well, well, our Fiona here said she once bought a dress for just 20 quid and wore it to so many weddings. It was a fabulous yeah. purchase and great value. Good luck with that, uh, Katie Sloan from Peach Vintage Clothing, just to mark secondhand September. Now, visit one of the shops. You'll, you'll find stuff there. You'll be amazed what you find, actually. Thanks for that. 1850-715-996. Finn remembers that back in the day of American basketball players in Cork, there was a guy called Dan Trent, he played a year or two with a team in Dublin. He was five feet eleven and a magician on court. He perished on that awful day of nine eleven. I was in Kinsale last night, says this message, celebrating my birthday in a pub. There was Americans in there in tears of disbelief. Orla was living at home in Dublin, working as a PA for an undertaker. Mum rang to tell me. I remember crying, turned on the TV and saw the second plane hit the second tower. I was never in the States till 2013. We visited the memorial. I found my firefighter friend's name. I always had a connection with the States, even more so now. I'll always remember where I was. My sister was late for a meeting that day at Tower 2. Her flight was delayed. Now we know why. You've been sending loads of them in all morning. I was in Roche's stores, says Bernie. Saw it on TV. My eyes filled with tears. I just had to go home. I was working in Quinsworth, says Deirdre and Douglas. Quinsworth, remember that? There was an elderly couple in the queue, very upset. I asked them if they were okay. They said their son had gotten a flight to New York that morning. I asked them what time. I said, don't worry, his flight was nowhere near New York. It was diverted. And there was, I have loads of them, and thank you for them all. A couple more audio ones before we're out of here. Uh, we'll do this one from Trina. Morning PJ, how are you? Um, I was actually in work when it came out over the radio um, in the shop I was in. It was actually yourselves was on 96FM and the presenter at the time, I can't remember who, thought it was a small plane had hit the tower first, like a little passenger plane, a Cessna I think they called it. Um, but yeah, I remember that. I was in work and I actually finished work early. I was finished early that day and I came home. And I think I was in. I was home just in time to see the second tower fall. I'd missed the first tower, but I was there to see the second tower fall. And just after what happened after that, then, but yeah, I was in work. I was in work when I heard it. 
going to leave you with Jess's memory of 9-11 just before we go programme edited by Fiona Cork and produced and researched by Fergal Barry I won't be here on Monday uh, Fiona sits in Monday and I'll see you Tuesday morning just after 9 leave you with Jess's memory of 9-11 and to everybody who sent a memory today thank you Hi PJ just listening to you in Dublin um, as I have done since I left Cork in February um, just with 9-11, I was nine when um, it happened. It's about two months short of my 10th birthday. And um, it was a big day in our house, really, um, because I, a few weeks beforehand, had gotten um, a desktop computer. And, like, that's 20 years ago now, so they were big, bulky things at the time. Um, and... That day, Brian Manning from the NCBI, who's one of their um, tech guys, he and his guide dog came out to us to visit us in the house that day to put the computer together, to show me how to use it, because I was learning how to touch type at the time. Um, I'm partially sighted, so um, I needed the computer just to help me keep up with my schoolwork because I struggled with things like writing. but I remember coming in from school um, and like the excitement was more so around getting getting to use the computer and meeting Brian and his dog and I suppose more, more so the guide dog really because oh she was a big Alsatian, she was a lovely fluffy dog. Um, but obviously we were in and out of the, the front room and the, the attacks were unfolding on TV. Um, and I remember at first everyone thought it was an accident, I think after the first plane. But then after the second plane, they kept saying the word terrorist attack on TV. And, you know, I was like, you know, why why would someone do that? I just, as a child, obviously, I couldn't get my head around it. Um, and for a while then as well, you know, I think at first when, when it was on TV, I was wondering, like, what kind of a film was this? I thought we were watching a film and I... This isn't the kind of film that my mom would watch. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie You're listening to highlights from The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie.